is from John 12, 20 to 26. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so as you know, um, we have a guest speaker today. Uh, his name is Frankie. Uh, just before I invite him out, I'm just going to give a quick uh, introduction of who he is. And so Frankie came to Canada with a calling to serve in mission aviation. He finished his mission aviation training at Perry Bible Institute in Three Hills, Alberta. He has been serving in Kenya with uh, AIM Air as a pilot, mechanics, and IT specialist. AIM Air is the lifeline of many missionaries in the remote places where missionaries usually are isolated and vulnerable. AIM Air flies so missionaries can rest assured, stay focused, and go the distance. And Yuk, his wife, uh, participates in a local outreach team which has a ministry to an un unreached people group in Kenya while taking care of their one-year-old daughter, Nova. And so at this point, I just want to invite Frankie up uh, to yes, share God's word. And please give a warm LLC welcome to him. Great. Um, one second here. I have some technical problems here. All right. Greetings. Uh, I bring my greetings from Africa, from our organization to you all here. Um, my name is Frankie. My wife, Yoke, and our 14-month-old daughter is sitting at the very back. She's having her formula. Um, so uh, you can greet them later on. Um, it's a great honor and privilege to be here um, to share a message with you guys this morning. Um, it's my first time to share in an English uh, service. Uh, hope you guys could understand my English. I'm born and raised in Hong Kong, uh, so you know English is my second language. We are members of uh, Africa Inland Missions. Uh, I don't have the slide here, but if you look at the back there, that's our, on the top right corner, it's our uh, company logo. Our mission organization, AIM, is a mission sending agency and uh, with a heart of Africa peoples. Our desire to see um, worship of uh, Jesus Christ spread across the continent of Africa and the world. Um, some Africans have already uh, migrated to different parts of the world, in, even in Canada here. Uh, we want to see them, uh, the worship, uh, through individuals' life, fully committed to him and in the community as well, as a uh, Christ and the church as well. So uh, we, we are members of AIM and we serve in East Africa, uh, our country, we are based in Kenya. Our Lord has done uh, mighty works in Africa where his church is uh, growing daily, 
but still over like a, a thousand African people groups that have yet to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The task is still far from finished. Now, to be a little bit more specific in the introduction that we had about our families, our ministry involved in mission aviation and outreach to the Muslim communities. My wife, Yok, she usually goes to a neighborhood, a Muslim neighborhood, uh, with a lot of uh, um, refugees from the countries, neighborhood countries uh, from, uh, in the East Africa. She teaches English to the youth and the young adults. That's how she um, reached out to the Muslim communities. My ministry is uh, serving in mission aviation as a pilot, mechanics, and IT specialist. I'm not sure if you have heard anything related to mission aviation. Um, I have a short video. Oh, I forgot my, um, my remote. Just one second. Excuse me. Here we go. Um, this is one of the pictures. But I have a short video that I can uh, show to you guys and hopefully can give you an idea about it. I will hopefully the sound booth can help me to do that. Thank you. So that's a short introduction of our, our, our work. We want to be a missionary lifeline. Um, we want to uh, help the missionaries in the fine line so that they can uh, rest assured, they can stay focused, they can go to distance with their ministry. And uh, if you want to know more about our ministries, you are very welcome to send us an email. Uh, our email link is here. 
fy2africa at gmail.com or there's a QR code over there as well. You can uh, subscribe our newsletter. Uh, we will share our stories, our pictures um, through that link and uh, you can just sign up for the newsletter and, and pray for us. We, we do need a lot of prayers while we are, we are serving in Africa. Uh, we value the prayer from each of you, from all the brothers and from all the sisters across the world that they can uh, be our lifeline too, be our backup uh, in prayers. So, today's passage is from Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 to 26. Let me read that one more time. Now some Greeks were among those who had gone up to worship at the feast. So these approached Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and they both went to tell Jesus. Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the solemn truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. The one who loves his life destroys it, and the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what was happening here? After Jesus entered Jerusalem with a large crowd shouting Hosanna, a group of God-feared Greek have requested to meet Jesus. This Gentile triggered Jesus to announce an important sentence here. The hour has come. In verses 23, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour or the time was referring to the appointed time for Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation, and that is for his glorification. That's the man, the Son of Man to be glorified. And up to this point, the time or the hour has always been in the future tense. If you look at John chapter 2, 4, 7, or 8, the time they refer is coming or has not yet come. But from now until this passage, the, the hour is in immediate prospect. That means this is a very significant time. And at this important moment, Jesus gave his disciples some important teaching. In verses 24, Jesus said, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a kernel of the wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. This is a very familiar verse we I guess if you have been in church, this is always spoken or will be revealed. 
The glorification of the Son of Man consists of his death and resurrection. For the Son of Man to be glorified, he must go through death. For the seed to go, for a seed to go, it must go through death as well. Jesus used this image of a seed dying in order to produce fruit is to tell the principle that death is the necessary condition for generations of life. Like the seed whose death is the germinations of a life for a great crop, and so does Jesus' death generates a plentiful harvest, including you, including myself, to have eternal life. So we can live. This principle modeled by the seed that death is the necessary condition for the generation of life is applicable to Jesus and in a slightly different way, it is properly applied to all Jesus' followers. Our death is the necessary conditions for our life. If we die, we may live. Here, to die is not referring to the end of our physical life in this earth, but often it means to give up and sacrifice our rights, our interests, and even our belongings in our life. So the movement of the thought throughout this passage runs from Jesus' unique fruitful death, the death of one seed that produces many living seeds, to the mandate death of Jesus' followers as the necessary condition of our own life. A lot of terms here, but let me share a few more stories about our life in um, Africa. My wife uh, do an outreach to the Muslim group, and this group are very fundamentalist. Uh, how do you call it? Like they are very aggressive. They like Muslim, they like the Islamic studies, but they hate Christians. They hate Christians very much, especially if you are missionaries, they really want to kill you. And in this people group, if they find out any one of them who become a Christian, he or she will have a chance to be killed by their families or by their same people group. And even for the one who shared the good news to him, even a Christian, could also be attacked or lost their life. So for them, if they want to believe and became, become a Christian, it actually means they're going to die, almost die. They're not going to face maybe the physical death right away, but for sure they can guarantee uh, eternal life that our God gave. They may or may not have to immediately give up their family, their work, their social status, or even their life. They have to die to this world. And they don't need to 
And in verses 25, 20, the one who loves this, his life destroys it, and the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. What that really means, the person who loved his life put himself in the center, in the highest position in, in their life, think and do everything based on his own interests. To love one's life is fundamentally denying God's sovereignty, which is the heart of all sin. Jesus said such a person who loves his life actually will lose his life. And by contrast, the one who hates his life will keep it for eternal life. The person who denies himself should take up his course daily. That really means he's not choosing his life to be self-interest. But at the deepest level, he is being a disciple and he is denying himself to focus his interest to and himself to the cross and dying to this world. And Jesus promised that these people would have eternal life. They are living for God. Jesus calls to give up a self-focused lifestyle, to die, to, to, to be deaf to ourselves. We want to be having a life, be a Christ-centered life to live for God. How does that apply to us? As a pilot, sometimes I face these questions too. Like this world gave me a lot of potential work, like a high salary work. If you go for an airline, for sure you got a stable life. You don't need to go and fly in a bush and you don't need to like get dirty. You know, you, the heat, everything's like that. Comfort, like you can have a big house, good pensions, good education for, your, for, for, my, for my kids, for my families. This is a very big contrast. But how come I can just leave this all and focus my life to be used by God? The key, I think, for me to look at this, which is very similar to this passage, is Jesus asks us to do so. Jesus asks us to give up our own interests and focus on his, focus, us, focus on what he's asking us to do in our life. He gave me the wisdom, the power, the strength to say no to this world so that I can focus serving him alone and live for him. In verses 26, if anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me, and where I am, my servant will be too. 
If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The focus here on self must be displayed by focusing on Jesus Christ, who is the supreme revelation of God. And Jesus' glorification is to tie to his refusal. He refused to seek his own glory and commit to die on the cross for you and for us. And this commitment always is to do what pleases his Father. His crucifixion is the path to his glorification so that the believer's death is the path For us, we, if we want to follow Christ, we also have to take up our own cross. And Jesus promised that if we follow him, if we do his will, he will honor us. And that is a blessing, and it is how a glorious time it could be. I'm going to share a few more stories about things happen in Africa. But before that, I think all you have seen airplanes flying here in Vancouver, small planes, a lot of planes flying around. And if you look at the videos that we have, we're flying something similar to that. We only have one engine and one propeller in front of the aircraft. And that propeller turns it actually, like with all the aerodynamics, is give, create thrust, create all the aerodynamic force for us to fly so that we can stay in the air. We have a joke uh, saying that that propeller is actually a big fan to keep the pilots cool, right? Because it's keep pushing the air. If it doesn't turn, what happened? It will be like here, like we are getting really hot. The pilot will be like, wow, let's do something, right? In 2019, our team have a serious accident. And uh, we have two pilots in the planes and a few passengers traveling from the northern part of Kenya and back to our capital in Nairobi. And during the flight, the engine died. So what happened? The propeller doesn't turn, the pilot get really hot, and we only have six minutes from our altitude to be before we crash on the ground. Right, only six minutes. The pilots, two of them, one of them, well, there's two pilots over there. One of them control the aircraft, make sure it's still gliding. We're not crashing right away. The other pilots press the SOS buttons and announce like that we have an emergency to the passenger and also send it to our base. And all our chief pilot and all the emergency uh, protocols start. And then we look at the screen and try to find where the plane is and seeing the altitude start to lose little by little. So the pilot have that six minutes. So what, he's, what he has done is, is have to decide whether he need to restart the engine or try to find a place to land. And if you look at the video and watch that, 
There's not many places that we land, even those, the places, the one way that we land, it's not really a one way. It's just a grass strip or dirt. The pilot quickly have a glance and he saw some white area, white sand area down in the valley. So he decided, let's put the plane over there. And he set up the plane and gliding and blast guiding distance and approaching to that area. And at the same time, comfort the passengers we are okay, we should be okay, we should be landing there. Usually a, a serious accident like that, nobody in the plane, if we watch the screen, we're just waiting for an accident to happen and maybe some phone call and some people hurt and things like that, but praise God, we need to put it in a different slide. The planes had to land in that area. Uh, low scratch, maybe some minor dent in, in the, in the, uh, in the fuselage. Um, all the people survive. No people die, and every people walk away from the aircraft. The pilot get off and then try to turn the propeller. It ceases. it doesn't really turn at all. Usually, that means a big problem. And they landed at an area with a lot of insecurity. That area is well known with uh, a lot of conflict between different clans. And the pilot quickly grabbed his phone and tell us where they are. And they basically say everybody is safe and we probably need the evacuation coming and to get us out because uh, one of the passengers had actually heading, need to head to the hospital and have some medical treatments scheduled. But shortly after that, like maybe after five minutes, uh, some people came up from the bushes. They all have their rifle. You see the people right there have a gun, have a rifle. As I said, this is a, a place with a lot of conflict. Those people are basically using their rifle to protect their lives, protect their belongings, their, their livestock. But the missionary basically doesn't know how to communicate with them. In Africa, there's over 40 different people groups have their own dialects. And for missionaries or pilots like us, nobody knows all. And even Africans don't, doesn't know all their or language. So the pilot basically stand there and try all different words that he knows in, in, in African language. The, the, the Africans there, the, the youth over there have a gun, they basically no idea, had no idea about what the missionary said. But in his mind, he, he kind of think, okay, this area must be some kind of people group that right from his memory, he think they are, they maybe belongs to certain different people groups. So he try um, a people group called Pokot. P-O-K-O-T, Pokok. So he greeted them kind of like Pokok. And amazingly, the, the gentleman, I mean the, the youth there, they, they start to respond with a nod of his head. So I guess he's trying to tell the pilot that they are Pokok people. So this is actually a great news for the pilot because he knows and we have a missionary within AIM that have served 
the Pocock People Group for over 30 years. So he grabbed his phone, called our base one more time, and tried to find that missionaries. And thankfully, we find him, and we called the missionary uh, from, from our base, and the missionary called our pilot, and became the interpreter between the pilot and the people group there, the Pocock people, and asking them to, to guard the aircraft, to help the pilot to guard the aircraft, because we are going to leave the plane over there for maybe two or three days until we have the maintenance, the mechanics to go and disassemble the planes and then truck it back to our base. So um, the missionaries, everything settled until like maybe two weeks later. The missionary who worked for the Pocock People Groups for 30 years, and he asked his uh, elders in his group, and asked, like, do you guys know that's the Pocock people groups in this, in this valley, in, uh, in this area? And those elders say, they never heard about people moving in there. So um, they decide to pay a visit. They decide to, to visit the people in that valley. The missionaries work with these people group, Pocock people groups for over 30 years. They have set up churches, maybe every 20 kilometers they will have one churches that have been built and uh, set up in that area, in the, uh, not in that area, in the area that uh, the missionary work. So they decide to move into the valley and, and visit them. It is a well-known conflict area, so they move in and they find 10 or seven people groups a few, a few like seven in a groups and travel there and do a survey and visit different church, different actual different villages that have been established in, in that area. Within that valley, over 50 kilometers in circumstance. That's like over 10 villages. Pocock villages have actually settled over the last maybe five to six years. They not, it's not only with the people with the guns and the livestock, they move the whole families in. They have their home, huts, and everything. So the missionaries and the elders from outside came in and visited the tent, like kind of the elders from these different uh, villages. And they had a visit and asking them, how long you guys have been there? And greetings from the outside, the same people group. And they asked these, uh, these elders, these 10 elders, do you guys want to have a church here? in this valley because there's no church. And these 10 elders basically say, yes, we want it. We want to have a church here. The story doesn't end here because for us, we really think the engine died. at a specific spot in the air. But if it doesn't die, it's still an engine. We continue our flight. But God actually let it happen, let the engine die at that divine spot. Because it fell, it provided opportunity for us to land there so that the Pocock people group are now known to the missionaries and to the outside group. 
maybe, just maybe, this is the, the biggest miracle, was not here for us, but God gave us a place to land, and there will be some spiritual grain ready for harvest in that area with conflicts and a dry, very dry land that none of us would think people living there. In that area, with tension, with everyone carrying a rival or a gun for protection, now there will be a church built, and hopefully it will become a hope for those people. So there's no more fear and tension in that area. And maybe there may be a one way, there will be an airstrip will be built there, and hopefully there will be a real, real one way, not just a sandy area that we can land on. A church, necess not necessarily like a church here in like a big building. A church could be something like this, just under the tree where people gather and worship our Lord. My final words here, or a challenge for all you here, is we always want to have control in our life. We feel like we have control, we feel comfort, we feel secure. As a pilot, that's also important to us too. If we lose control, we feel scared, we feel Everything's out of our plan. We want something that we have controlled so that it's, it fits our schedule, it fits what we want. But Jesus Christ, he didn't ask us to do that. He asked us to give him control, to give our life to him, to die to this world to live for God. So, if we do that, God guarantees us that he will meet us, he will lead us to some special places or meet some special people that we may not even imagine. So would you like to take control still or let Jesus Christ to take control and would you like to or would you willing to tell Jesus that you have control you have control in our lives and I hope you all know the answer and I don't need to ask you for the answer it is your relationship with Christ and you can answer him in your private Thank you.